Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 131355. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Ah, g'day. Thanks for sliding the shin pads on with me this morning. Should female athletes be paid the same as their male counterparts? 131355 0467 736 736. Yep, we are going there. We are opening up that can of worms. It's a simple question, but a complicated answer isn't it? Or is it just simple? Look, your thoughts, your solutions as we head into the biggest sporting event this country has seen since the Sydney Olympics. It starts in two days' time. It's the Women's Soccer World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand. The Matildas, they're based here in God's country. That's right. They're calling Brisbane home for the tournament. But instead of talking about Sam Kerr's hammy, we're talking about the biggest thing that's hamstringing women's sport, their pay. Rightly or wrongly, it is front and centre heading into the tournament. Look, I've got an idea, and I'll share it with you very shortly. But should female athletes earn the same as their male counterparts? Well, it's very loaded, isn't it? Extremely loaded. Should they earn the same, or should it be a percentage of what they earn? They earn the same in surfing. They do in tennis grand slams as well. Yet we know that's an uneven playing field because women play the best of three sets, men play the best of five. So the argument there is, well, hang on, the men are doing more work, so they should be paid more, right? Oh, dear. We are delicately tiptoeing through this today. 13 13 55 0467 736 736. There's plenty to sink our teeth into as well, not just the gender pay gap parity, but touch judges. Do they still have a role in modern-day rugby league? I think they do, but are they fulfilling it? Because the question's got to be, where were they on Sunday night in the Titans-Parramatta match? We've been hearing all morning, just heard in the news then, how the Titans were this time robbed of a win because they got it wrong. A week before against the Dolphins, the referees got it right, calling an offside call and handing the Titans a loss to the Dolphins. Penalty in front, but... Roles were reversed this time. They should have got a penalty in front when Parramatta were offside. The NRL footy boss, Graham Annesley, he admitted as much yesterday. Last week, uh, I stood here and defended uh, referees for making a strong call on players who were offside when there was a field goal attempted uh, that would have determined the outcome of the game. Uh, unfortunately, this week I can't mount the same defence for the officials. The two incidents, uh, they, they are different in terms of uh, the elements around the uh, both attempted field goals by Tanner Boyd. Uh, last week, as I said, I stood up here and defended the referee. Uh, ironically, the decision uh, uh, went against the, the club that is on the wrong end of this decision. But last week, the decision was right. This week, the decision's wrong. Wow, that's cold comfort for the Titans, isn't it? 
and their fans. I mean, that's very much their season on the line and almost gone. You'd have to think. On the back of then, Tino facing three weeks, it's going to be a hard slog, and it's all because of one call, one call that was got wrong. 13, 13, 55, Where were the touch judges in this? Because I think it's down to the on-field officials to get it right to start with. But the bunker could chime in, surely. But what were the touchies doing? Aren't they supposed to be calling this out to the ref? I mean, it's helter-skelter. It's the last minutes of the game. And you know that the players are going to be doing everything they can to be charging down the kicker. They're all offside. One was called out. Apparently didn't make any part of the play. But surely that puts Tanner Boyd off. I mean, I remember hearing Matty Rogers talk about this, that when you're in that position like Tanner Boyd was, you don't know who's being called out. You don't know. You just think they're all coming at you and all bearing down you. So, yeah, they are going to have an effect on it. It should have been a Titans penalty, but also the touchy should have called it out. They should have seen it if the ref missed it. Do touch judges have any relevance, any role in modern-day rugby league? 13, 13, 55, uh, We are now out of the origin period. We are on the home run. We are on the way home. As far as the top eight is concerned, as far as finals are concerned, it is clear air. We are going to get a better picture now of where teams sit. It's something I'll be talking to Brent Tate about. I'll talk to him about touchies. I'll talk to him about the origin period. So there's been a few suggestions. Do we need to change it? Do we need to tweak it? We'll get into that as the morning winds on. We'll also head to the UK. Plenty happening over there. We've got the British Open this week, but obviously we've got the Ashes starting tomorrow night. I've seen pictures of Stuart Dew in camp with the Australian cricket team. That's right. The former Suns coach, it's been what? Just under 10 days. Since he, actually, no, it's been less than that, a week. Since he parted ways with the Gold Coast and he's in the UK in an Australian cricket tracksuit, seemingly part of the team. We'll try and get a handle on this as the morning winds on. We've put our feelers out to contacts on the ground over there and also contacts back here. I can only suggest this has been a an arrangement or some sort of relationship that has been fortified, has been cultivated with Australian cricket, with the Suns, maybe the coaches, over the last couple of years. Track down and try and get to the bottom of that. But the big thing to come out of the Australian cricket side has also, uh, not only what their side will be, but it's been reaction to Lords. So much happened in that test. I know it was two tests ago, but Usman Kawaja has spoken over the night, the Australian batsman, and he had plenty to say about the crowds. And we know what happened in the long room, the members at Lords, but it not only spilt into Lords, which got quite vocal, but Headingley, which we know are very vocal, and Aussie had this to say about the English crowds and then laid into Aussies as well. I mean, look, yeah, they're rough. I, if, to, if you talk about it to um, England guys, they say we're equally as rough when they come there. And I'm, I don't agree with it either way. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's... You know, I personally, if I'm playing the cricket and I'm watching cricket, I wouldn't want my kids to be around that. And if I saw that, I'd 100% make a complaint or just leave. I think some of the stuff can be pretty poor. I mean, when we were at Edgebaston, they were calling Travis Head a CU, you know what? I'm like, I can't believe that you can actually say that in a public domain anywhere. 
So it can be a little bit disappointing at times, and I just I think it's the same way in Australia. I think we can take it too far in Australia. Same thing happens in Australia. I'm not a big There we go. Same thing happens in Australia. Woozy. Nice little grenade to lob in there at the end. Um, has he got a point? And not just cricket, but crowd behaviour in general in Australia. What's been your experience? Does it match up with Woozies? Are we as bad as what the Poms are throwing at the Aussies in the ashes? We know the Barmy Army gets vocal. They can get quite creative. They can also get quite personal. We're not at that level, are we? Maybe I've been leading a cloistered life uh, in my profession and what I do in the media. We don't get to sit out into the crowd that often. So you tell me. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Crowd behaviour in this country, in any sport. What's been your experience? Is Was he on the money? Or are we better behaved than the Poms, than South Africans, than anything that we've seen come Australia's way? Something about people in glass houses, pot calling, kettle black, that type of thing. 13, 13, 0467, 736, 736. As I said, plenty to talk about today. Plenty to talk about in the AFL if you're a CEO of a club. Because we're hearing today that the incoming AFL CEO, Andrew Dillon, is going to have a conversation with the clubs about a radical new plan when it comes to the finals. Introducing a wild card round is something they do in the NBA. Generates a lot of excitement. But the chief executives of the 18 clubs will be asked if this is a viable option for the AFL. How does it work? A number of ways, but basically it gives teams finishing outside the top eight, maybe ninth or tenth, a chance to play finals as a wild card. One way to work, the top six locked in. Seven and eight, nine and ten. Play a game each against each other, or maybe a cross section. Maybe seven plays ten, nine plays eight. And the two winners determine the final spot in the top eight or the final two spots in the top eight. It could be as basic as eight plays nine to determine the final spot in the top eight. Wild card round. Good idea. If you're a team that's sitting just outside the eight right now, say the Giants, Essendon, that's eight and nine right now on the AFL ladder. Throw Carlton in the mix as well and Richmond. I know Richmond are sitting 11th, aren't they? Yeah. So throw Carlton in the mix. Could this work? Would this work? Is this something you'd like to see? And if not in AFL, what about NRL? Wild card rounds to determine the final spot or two spots in the top eight. It is something the club CEOs are going to have put in front of them today. It may be coming to a competition near you. 13 13 55 0467 736 736. Plenty to talk about this Tuesday morning. But before we get into that, let's do this. And now, time for Ben's Snap Judgment. 
Yeah, should female athletes be paid the same as their male counterparts? It's a loaded question. 13 13 55 0467 736 736. They are words I actually feel uncomfortable saying because when this comes down to any other industry in this country and in most parts around the world, the most Western democracies, this shouldn't be an issue. You get paid for doing a job regardless of gender. In my world, it's that simple, that basic. Why? Well, because it's illegal to discriminate against gender, against religion, race, sexuality, height, weight, hair color, and pretty much anything else that is totally irrelevant to actually doing the job. But in the sporting world, it's not. It's not that simple. Yet it is the biggest talking point just two days out from the start of us hosting the Women's Soccer World Cup. And George, yeah, thank you for your text. He said, hey, mate, it's football, not soccer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm that guy. George, I take your point on board. But you know what? I was born in Brisbane. I grew up in Brisbane and I grew up playing soccer. We have four football codes that we play in this country as main football codes. In Melbourne, we're in Victoria, footy is AFL. In Queensland, football is normally rugby league. Maybe it's rugby union. Maybe it's AFL. Maybe it's soccer. So when you say football, you've got to differentiate. We call it Aussie rules. We call it league. We call it union. We call it soccer. But I take that on board, George. Thank you. Let's getting back to gender pay gaps. Yes, the Women's Soccer World Cup. But maybe we wouldn't be talking about this if it wasn't for the videos that Matilda's released, uh, what, just over 24 hours ago, calling out FIFA to match the same prize money for women as the men. The men in the last World Cup last year, the prize money was $440 million total prize pool. It's eye-watering, isn't it? But when it comes to this World Cup for the women, it's $110 million. They're they're phone numbers, I I know, but they're not the same, are they? Uh, Yesterday, when the Matildas had their media conference, spoke to the media, um, it was a big centre of uh, conversation, and it's something that was addressed by Claire Hunt and Matilda on that pay parity fight. We want to be able to pave the way for our players, um, both in Australia and from other nations, um, to have the support, have the resources to be world-class athletes. All right, Claire Hunt yesterday from the Matilda. So that's why they are doing this. Politics and sport, sport and politics, it's all getting mixed together, as it always does before events like this, because you know what? The world is watching. And right now, the world's biggest sport, soccer, doesn't pay its female athletes the same as the males. And it's not alone. I said it before, outside of tennis grand slams, or sorry, outside of grand slams, tennis doesn't do it either. WTA, ATP, the prize money is vastly different. Surfing does it. They came on board last year. Male and female get the same prize money. Golf doesn't do it. Uh, The list goes on. Why? Why don't they? 131355. It may be a very simple answer. I've got thoughts on it, but I would love to hear yours. For me, and the simple answer that is always trotted out, that the women's game doesn't generate the same revenue as men. All right, well, let's start digging into that. Why? Are you going to the World Cup? 
Are you going to watch England and Haiti? Are you going to watch the, the Matildas? I mean, it's sold out against Ireland and Sydney. It was sold out in Melbourne in the lead-up match to France. It's sold out at Suncorp Stadium. What about Ash Barty? Did you watch her play, be it on TV or live in person when she was here in Brisbane or maybe playing at the Australian Open? Hannah Green in golf, do you watch her play? Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, do you watch them play cricket? Firebirds, Lightning, if you do, why? And if you don't, why not? 13, 13, 55. It may open and start to answer some of these questions. According to Foxtel, the viewing of women's sport in Australia has risen 18% since last year. That's good growth in anyone's numbers. Viewing engagement, according to Foxtel, is up 36%. So a third more Australians consumed an hour or more of women's sport per week. Yet the overall consumption of sport remained the same, but the viewership of women's sport increased. So people are watching. You're watching. I think the answer lies at the governing bodies. They need to invest and invest properly into the women's game and insert sport here. Could be anywhere. Could be basketball, could be NRL, could be AFL, tennis, cricket, whatever it could be. The the sponsors are there because we know organisations are tripping over themselves to show they're invested in sports that represent 51% of the population. That's smart business, delving into a market that represents the most people. So wouldn't you charge them accordingly? Wouldn't you value your product? Why don't the sporting bodies charge the same amount of sponsorship for the women's game as they do the men's game? Don't undersell it. Don't discount it. That's not smart business. What is smart business? Spending money to make money. Anytime you set up a business, anytime you set up a product, you've got to wear a cost early. You've got to invest the capital. You've got to build your brand. You've got to improve what you do. Then the payday comes. The AFL have done it with the AFLW, but but not enough. The AFL have put in a lot of money to set up that competition, and it's a full-blown competition to the point where every club is involved, yet they don't play each other all once. What type of competition is that? The NRL, well, they have invested nowhere near enough in NRLW. Soccer, the W League, well, it's actually not the W League anymore. It's gone back to the A League women's. It's a shambles, and you could list the amount of sports going on. The key for me is to make female athletes full-time, make them professional, and that way the skill level and the product improves. Right now they're part-time. They need to work outside of the sport to live. And if they're doing that, how are they going to improve? They go to work during the day and then come and train at night, part-time. Why don't you flip that? Why don't you make them be able to train four or five days a week, six hours a day, watch the skill level improve. And you know what? There is a case study on this. The proof is in the pudding when it comes to cricket. They led the way in 2017. They handed our national team, our women's cricketers, upgraded contracts. They had the same revenue share as the men. They weren't earning the same amount of money as the men, but they were earning six figures plus. And look at them. They've just retained the Ashes. They're the world champions. They are invincibles. Since that pay deal in 2017, our Australian cricket team, our women's cricket team, has only lost three games in a row once. 
right there tells you that the improvement has come on the back of being full-time professionals. That's at the elite level, the international level. Yet state players, WBBL players, they're not full-timers. Maybe invest some of the money and the profits back into that, and then you'll see the game improve. Again, how else are you going to improve the product? To borrow a line from Hollywood, build it and they will come. Charge sponsors accordingly. Sponsors like Nike, Visa, Budweiser, they're all part of the last Women's World Cup, which had more than a billion eyeballs on it. We're talking soccer now. That was four years ago. This World Cup, sponsors on board. Adidas, Kia, Coke, Maccas, Zero, Commonwealth Bank, uh, Unilever, which is basically Rexona. International companies. Surely there's enough adding in the broadcast rights. And remember, more than a billion eyeballs were on the Women's Soccer World Cup in 2019. Surely they can make the prize money more than $110 million. The men, as I said, $440 million last year in Qatar. It's all about investing in the future. It's all about growing the game. It's all about getting towards some sort of gender parity. That's how a huge hole could be fixed. Poke holes in the argument. Welcome to the debate. 13 13 55 0467 736 736. In insert sport here, NRL, AFL, uh, basketball, you name it. Where's the level? Where's the investment? Where are the governing bodies coming at to try and better their sports? Uh, 24 minutes past nine. We are off and running this Tuesday. Welcome your calls. Welcome your thoughts. Plenty to get through before midday today. Ben Davis with you on the new home of sport, SENQ 693 AM. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Yeah, 9.39. Let's head straight to Victoria, the Melbourne and Melbourne, where Daniel Andrews is addressing the media. Read the Commonwealth Games. Uh, Meetings occurred, amicable and productive meetings occurred in London last night and they will again continue uh, London time uh, later on uh, today. Uh, However, as I said, uh, $2.6 billion uh, was budgeted Uh, and that covered both legacy benefits, so ongoing important sporting upgrades and and other physical infrastructure and other other elements, housing and other things of that nature across a number of regional hubs and, more broadly, some other regional communities. I want to come to that in just a moment. Uh, Not all of that $2.6 billion was, of course, for legacy. Uh, It was for um, security and transport and all manner of other... Uh, services, if you like, all other uh, elements of putting on such a big event. Uh, what we are going to do, instead of proceeding with games that would cost six to seven billion dollars, we will not have the games, and we will instead today we're announcing a regional package of over two billion dollars, and there are a number of features to that. Uh, first and foremost, each and every one of the permanent sporting facilities that were to be legacy benefits from the Games will be built and the Deputy Premier will speak to that in just a moment. There is a very substantial regional tourism fund. There will be a substantial package of support for community-based sport and perhaps most importantly there will be a $1 billion boost for social and affordable housing 
right across regional Victoria, not just in those hub cities, but there will be uh, at least 1,300 new homes constructed across regional Victoria. This represents a massive boost uh, and a direct response to what is perhaps the biggest challenge across regional Victoria and indeed across our state, and that is the supply of housing and the number of housing options that Victorians uh, have uh, before them. Uh, that is in many respects uh, the biggest and best lasting legacy that we can leave, somewhere to live uh, and a market that has more supply for those who need it. So in essence, when you add up all of, not the estimates, but the actuals, all the contemporary work that's been done with builders, with those who provide services, all of those who would contribute to running the Commonwealth Games in 2026, the cost is not $2.6 billion as estimated by senior departmental officials, external consultants, um, the government, as well as Commonwealth Games authorities. Uh, it is in fact at least $6 billion and could be as much as $7 billion. And look, I've made a lot of difficult calls, a lot of very difficult decisions in this job. This is not one of them. Uh, frankly, six to seven billion dollars for a 12-day sporting event. We are not doing that. That does not represent value for money. That is. Well, there we go. That's Daniel Andrews, the Victorian Premier. The Commonwealth Games in 2026 have been cancelled, as far as Melbourne's concerned. That they will not host. The Commonwealth Games, that's brought to us by Channel 9, Um, that audio. He is still talking to the media, and this is the developing story as it winds on this morning. uh, And I see a media release coming through from the Commonwealth Games uh, uh, of Australia. They will be holding a media conference too in relation to Daniel Andrews' announcement, just to see what it means, to see where it sits. But but right now, the Commonwealth Games in 2026 will not be held in Melbourne, uh, and an alternative host nation would have to be organised, would have to be voted on. What are we now? Some three years out from those games. Uh, Developing story, as I said, it will uh, get bigger as the day goes on, but $2.6 billion to put the games on, that's what it was estimated, but that is now sitting at six, possibly up to seven. I just can't help but think what that means as far as Olympics is concerned here in Brisbane. And that that's the obvious first thing you go to with the games and budgets that are blowing out. I do hope this doesn't spook our state government. The Olympic Games, as we know, is the biggest sporting event on the planet. And the legacy uh, venues, the infrastructure that is being built to make the games going forward has got to happen to make sure that this city continues to grow and to build. And as I've said since day one, there is nothing like an Olympic Games to put a deadline on things being built and things getting done. I hope this doesn't spook the Queensland state government if costs start to blow out too significantly. 13, 13, 55, 0467 736 736. All right, let's talk some rugby league as we keep an eye on that developing story with the Commonwealth Games. Our go-to man is on the line again, Brent Tate, who's been there and done it all in the world of rugby league. Tatey, let's get our head back into the game. Very good morning to you. Um, Post-origin, now it's that run home to the finals. It's a, it's a, a big weekend and it's a big couple of weeks for all teams involved. Uh, good morning, Benny. Yes, yeah, certainly is. Uh, obviously, Origin done and dusted, which is great, mate. Obviously, a good uh, good Queensland victory. And 
world order restored again. We uh, were back on top, but yeah, very much into the run home now, into the finals, and uh, obviously a, a really exciting time because the comp's tight. Um, you know, it's been great to watch this year, and I think now that you know all the distractions are out of the way, we can really concentrate on week to week footy and um, some huge games um, for some clubs coming up over the next few weeks. It's going to be uh, interesting watch. Yeah, what about the Titans? I mean, you've got a feel for them after the uh, announcement yesterday by Graham Annesley that we got it wrong. You, you love accountability, you love them putting their hand up, but geez, they should have put the hand up uh, on Sunday night saying offside penalty Titans. Yeah, oh, look, mate, oh, it, it is really disappointing. And I don't know whether I like whether they come out and admit they were wrong because, you know, it doesn't really fix anything, does it, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes you do have to be really critical. I mean, there's three guys on the field. You've got, you know, obviously the guys up in the box that can tip the referee off as well. Um, you know, surely someone would have been able to pick that up. But, um, yeah, unfortunately for the Titans, mate, they go down. And, um, you know, that was a pretty, pretty crucial win for them um, in the context of where they sit on the table. So... Uh, you know, it sort of counts for nothing now, I guess. But, um, mate, they've got a big few weeks too. Obviously, the couple of players off contract and Tino and Fafita to see where that all lands. Um, you know, there's plenty of storylines around the NRL at the moment. As I said before, you know, it's, it's, you sort of got to tune in because there's, um, there's plenty happening. Oh, isn't there just... Tate, is there, is, there room, is there room for Touchy still in the modern game? I know that sounds so weird to even think about it, but if they're missing the basics like, like that offside and... We have the video technology. We have the bunker. Do touchy serve a purpose these days? Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah. I, I mean, it's a really good question. But, yeah, look, I, I think they do. Um, you know, I, I guess in that situation, I think, you know, all the referees really need to have a hot... I mean, one of the things in their tip sheet, I guess, for the referees would be to, to say, if it is a golden point, you know, we have to, you know, at, at field goal range, you know, we need to keep a really tight eye on, you know, all these guys sort of coming off the line early. Yeah. I mean, that you'd think that'd be one oh one, but um, look, it's really hard, mate. It's a tough job being a referee and a touchy and all those sort of things. But you know, we are all human; we all do make mistakes. But um, you know, I guess when you look at it in the context of like the Titans season, mate, that was must win on the weekend, and you know, that's going begging now. So yeah, it's um, mate. It's an interesting question, mate. I don't. We'll never ever get it right. For as long as we're playing rugby league, we'll be talking about this forever. So um, it is what it is. Uh, one thing I'm, ex- uh, I can't believe we're talking about is that the contracts with Tino Fasua Mawali and Big Dave Fafita with, with the Titans. They, they they had their contracts linked to the coach to Justin Holbrook, and if Justin Holbrook's not there, the contracts that they've extended and signed are now null and void. I, I can't. I can't fathom how a club would let this happen, how then a club would let the coach go, knowing that two of their highest paid players could just walk out the door and they'd have to renegotiate with them. Yeah, it, it's a funny one, mate. I, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine this would be in too many players' contracts moving forward, especially with how much contracts are worth these days. And, you know, it's going to be a costly mistake for the Titans because, you know, you, you would think they'll have to bump or extend, you know, either of those guys out. Um, you know, just a little bit. So, you know, it, I don't think they'll leave. Um, I hope they don't because, um, you know, I, I get the feeling they're really building something down there, the Titans, and, you know, Tino's a really big part of that. And I, I love Tino. He'd be one of my favourite players in the comp. I love what he's about. Um, you know, I love that he's a, you know, he's a young leader in that group and it'd be a you know, real disaster if he was to go. But I don't think it'll get to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to cost the Titans a little bit more extra, I think, uh, on the way through for having something like that 
in their deal, which, you know, as I said, I, now you think about it, it's crazy to think that they allowed it to happen. But again, um, it's what they've got to sort. Tati, in your experience from a player and then someone who's been on the other side and worked in the inner sanctums of footy clubs, an arrangement like this, how does it, how does it one, even come up? And two, how is it and would it be allowed to happen? Well, the only thing I can guess and I guess speculators, you know, they, they were trying to get the deal done with both those guys. Um, you know, maybe it was something they, they sort of paid a little bit less and, and included something like that in their contract. So there was that, you know, fail safe. Um, yeah, it's a tough one, Benny. I mean, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And I guess when you're desperate at, you know, the Titans where they're sitting and they know how important mm. both those guys are, you're sort of willing to... I'm not going to say... Put your pants down or anything like that, but, but I guess you are willing to give and take a little bit more than what you would for most. But um, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to know what goes on behind closed doors and, and in those negotiations. But as I said, it's you know, I think it'll cost them a little bit extra on the way through for having it in there. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a massive warning for anyone who would think to do it, and whether uh, any other clubs would think to do it, because we know how expendable coaches are, sadly, and how easily they are moved on. Mate, before we need to move on, I, I want to get your thoughts on your former club, well, one of your former clubs, the Broncos. We know this is where it all unraveled for them last year. That Bulldogs game over the weekend was a relative danger game, uh, missing a host of rep players, and again, I, I cast my mind back to last year, the West Tigers sitting last. They should have easily beaten them, but they didn't. This time, they made sure they got the job done, and didn't they do it well? Yeah, they did, mate. And I'd be really surprised if they had anything like they had last year with that fade out of the back end of the year, mate. You know, those guys are a year older. They're, you know, another year experienced, especially those guys that have played Origin, um, you know, the Carrigans and, um, you know, Reese Walsh and those sort of guys. Um, I guess when you're in and around that environment, mate, you understand what it takes to win and you're on a steep, quick learning curve. Um, So they're all, you know, a year older, a year wiser. um, And, mate, they're in great form and they've got so much talent all over the field. They're they're a real threat this year. They really are. Mate, I I think they're probably one of the only teams that could take Penrith on um, and and get the job done. And, um, you know, they're they're chock full of talent. And I I think at the end of the day, mate, it's going to be up to the Broncos how far they go this year because if they want to win the comp, they've certainly got the team and the the calibre of players in the group to, to go and do it. Well, they've got a huge test this weekend against the, the Bunnies too, and it's going to be on the Sunshine Coast. So, again, they don't have to leave their home base as such, although they have set up camp at uh, the Novotel at Twin Waters this week. So they are treating it as if it's an away game going into a, a mini camp as well. So it'll be a really, really big test uh, this weekend against the Bunnies. Tady, uh, obviously with the breaking news in the Commonwealth Games, it's uh, sadly eaten into our time. It is always a pleasure to chat. Let, let's do it again next week. Brent Tate uh, on all things. Rugby League 13 13 55 0467 736 736. So much to digest there in just a little time. But when it comes to player contracts being linked to coaches, surely this can't happen again. Or, or is it? Do you think you may see more of this in the future? I think it'd be buyer beware now after what happened at the Titans. Um, what should what should happen here? Does someone at the Titans need to? I would surely think someone in the management structure, the football department. How does the CEO sign off on this? Did the CEO not know? Was it kept from the CEO? Or was Steve Mitchell complicit in signing off on it? Strange decision to sack the coach if he knew it. 13 13 55 0467 736 736.
Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Four minutes past ten. Thank you for your company. James has got involved on the text line. He said, Ben, where are the play out songs? State of Origin pump up. Oh, State of Origin pump up songs are done and dusted for the year because State of Origin's over. But, James, oh, there's no reason why we just kind of pump up songs. We just don't get them and call them State of Origin ones. So, Slam and Sam, time to earn your keep. We need to go back to our pump-up songs. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. We'll get that organised. Let's see if he can do things on the run. See if he can multi-skill. Peach on the text, he said, Oh, my God, where's Anastasia? Her perfect opportunity to send us into more debt by hosting the Commonwealth Games. Oh, Peach, no, no. Just take a deep breath. Let's hold back on that. 2026. We did it in 2018. Um, let's not put the cart before the horse. I, I just cannot fathom, though, how the costs are blown out by this for Victoria. $2.6 billion for a regional Commonwealth Games. And again, it was going to build up the regions and leave legacy projects there. Now, Daniel Andrews and his government have actually worked out the costs, which in turn did them to start with. Which work experience kid did those costs to start with, hey? Um, yeah, get him in front up to the media to figure out how it all went so badly wrong. Obviously, someone's neck is on the chopping block for this. How does it blow out that badly? I know there's a cost of living. I know the costs of increases. I know there's inflation. But 2.6 turning into 6? So what, just under triple? Possibly 7? That would triple it? $7 billion to put on the Commonwealth Games? Oh, dear. Um, Again, I just hope this does not spook the Queensland government when it comes to an Olympic Games. We know there's going to be cost blowouts. There always is on anything you do. Contingencies have got to be built in. But the bigger issue here, it's not just – and actually, I take umbrage umbrage about what Daniel Andrews said about a 12-day sporting event. He he doesn't get it. I'm not saying he has made the wrong decision. I don't know the finer detail yet because this is a developing story. But just to say it's for a 12-day sporting event – That is so short-sighted. That's not what it's about. It's so much more. It's about injection into the economy. It's about building venues. It's about building community. It's about building society. It's about building your state, your country, your city, your region. Now, granted, he is going to put that $2 billion into building regional Victoria. Good on him for doing that. But to say it's just for a 12-day sporting event, that's the bit that I can't cop. And he is very short-sighted in saying that. I wonder if that'll come back to bite him. Uh, 13, 13.13.55, it's where we find Lee at Kedron. Lee, good morning to you, mate. Um, your thoughts on females and males getting paid the same when it comes to playing sport? Well, well Ben, to cut a story short, I'm a male person. I like male sport. Like football is traditionally played by males, really. Well, but not yeah, now. But not play. now. Not, and they yeah. do play, yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. I know that women can play it, mm. but the majority of people around the around Australia like watching males play male sport. And you that, ask anybody yeah. around Brisbane, do you watch or care about women's sport? And most and most people will say no. Well, Lee, I'm looking at I'm looking at the figures that Foxtel have put out. And again, they're the ones who have the majority share of hosting women's sport on, on their network. And they say that there's been an 18% increase on the amount of people 
watching. And so, say so 20%. So it's increased by anything increasing by 20%. Any business growing by 20%, 18%. That's got to be good. And that's just from last year. The engagement is even higher uh, for is watching sport increase, every week. Mm. Well, is that an increase in male people watching it? Oh, that's eyeballs. And again, I don't think we should discriminate. Does it matter who's watching? So long as people are watching. Well, right? I, 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 don't, I don't. But if you want to raise revenue like the same as the men do, yeah. you know, you, you just I don't, you just can't do it with females. You, they, they can't do it or they're not doing it? Well, I, you know, look at all the people who pack Suncook Stadium. Most of them, majority of them are male people who like their football and they go to football, they watch football, they breed football, their kids, kids breed football. How many... I don't really know the figures. How many women out there and the daughters go to football and believe it like the men do? Well, I've got to tell you, my 16-year-old, she loves coming to the AFL and watching the Lions, watching the blokes play. Um, that's that's so. And Lee, I, I, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here, and I will pull you up if there's something that I don't agree with, like that. But I am trying to gauge where it all sits within the community. And I appreciate you being part of the show and being part of that engagement. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Has Lee got it? I don't think he has. I know where he's coming from, but I think that's a view from 15 years ago. Now, believe you me, I am the first to not fall into a category of, of, of wokeness and PC and just doing things because we should. I, I know and have seen with my own eyes what is happening in the world of sport. There are sponsors tripping over themselves to be part of women's sport. Business is being involved in this. And when 51% of the population are female, it's no-brainer, Right. Thirteen thirteen fifty five oh four six seven seven three six seven three six. Craig has jumped on the open line. G'day, mate. Morning, Ben. How are you going? Very well. How do you see this? Look, I think it's all about commerciality. The income that comes in for I mean, every every uh, professional sport is, is some form of uh, income. Now, mm. if um, rugby league gets X dollars come in, and and female rugby league gets Y dollars, um, if those X and Y are the same, we'll pay them the same. But if they're not, they can't be paid the same. And I think that has to all come back to commerciality. I, I don't believe, I mean, look, whether you like or not women's sport, I mean, it's either here for the, for the, for the long term. It's, it's great mm-hmm. to sort of see young girls, especially. My, my, my granddaughter the other day actually uh, was one of the Matildas that actually gave the jumpers out of Melbourne. Oh, really? The, How good? So, uh, you know, she was, uh, was 24, kids named Matilda. And yeah. uh, she was one of them. So that, that, the whole point about female fantastic. sport is fantastic. Yeah. And if the, if the Australian soccer team can actually generate X amount of dollars, they, get, they deserve to get paid more than anything. Hmm. So I'm, I'm for paying females more than males if in the context of the argument that the generation of funds by that sport is, is more for the females than is the males. So it comes back to the, the income. And I don't think anybody can and not justify that. I, I think you can, you can, you know, the sports, there's a whole lot of levels of sports, but the reality is simply it's, it's, too, it's too, too much of business these days to... Uh, to not understand the fact that you have to uh, generate the income to uh, to generate the uh, the um, paying the players. Craig, Craig, I'll put that counter to you, and it, and it's, it was the basis of my argument last hour, where I said, well, then shouldn't it be up to the governing bodies to be investing into that sport, like like any business? If you run a business, you to make money, you, you've got to spend money. You outlay the capital first, and then the profits will come because you grow the product, you grow the brand, you grow 
as far as a business is concerned. Now, the only way to grow a sport, in my view, is to make it professional. So they train more, they can invest more time into their skills rather than going to have to work for a living, like have a full-time job and then do sport on the side, flip that around, make, make sport professional. So the investment would come from the governing bodies and then they get that money from sponsors and the investment would increase the quality of what we're seeing. I completely agree. And and, and the fact is that uh, there's only a select few of uh, sports in Australia that actually can afford to do that. You're talking about rugby union, rugby league, Soccer's even, you know, soccer's struggling to actually get any money for themselves, let alone invest any money into female soccer. So even though we're doing so well on female soccer, and it's great that FIFA is actually putting money into that area, mm. but the reality is simply from a from a club's perspective, unless the clubs get handouts from their national body, uh, they're going to struggle to improve the um, the women's game at grass level. And it's got to start from the clubs. And, and, and uh, Craig, I reckon you've nailed it. And thank you for your call because there's a few uh, lining up to have their say too. 13, 13, 55. Just on that, cr- cricket led the way in 2017 and soccer soon followed as far as the women's game is concerned because the Matildas do get paid by Soccer Australia the same as the men as far as the revenue sharing and the same um, uh, allowances. They're, they fly business class. They have the trainers. They have the support. But that's at the elite level. Fantastic. And we've seen the Matildas climb to, what, number 10 in the world now coming into this World Cup. Our female cricketers are at the elite. They are number one in the world. They are world champions. They're invincibles. And that's because the money has been invested into them. When it goes down into the state level or the uh, domestic level, not so much. Not so much. Still semi-professional. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736. Uh, Rich has on the text line said, hey, Ben, the 70s called. They want their Lee back. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, I said 15 years ago. He's gone back to the 70s. Rich, thank you. Um, let's head across the Palmerstone Passage. Steve, morning to you. Good morning. How are you, Benny? Uh, mate, very well. We're, we're opening this can of worms, but it's something that's got to be discussed. And I, I want to take the pulse, take the temperature on this. Your, your thoughts? Oh, I think it's positive. You know, and it's an inevitable. You said revenue sharing before. You said growth of the game. Um, you know, I, my wife will say, what are you doing watching, you know, women's soccer? I said, because I love it. I think it's quite... A, a bit more exciting, attacking, and what have you, than watching the men's play. And I, I just uh, and I love watching the state of origin girls. You know, so I think it's got long-term positive effects. Getting uh, girls into the sport, having their heroes like we had as young boys growing up. Um, I say go for it. And it is revenue sharing. And I just think you know, it, as all sports grow, they'll they'll get to where they want to go. I think it's heading in the right direction. Mate, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Well done, Steve, out at Bribey Island, 131355. We, we've heard differing opinions here. Which side do you lean on? Um, I, I find now that things happen more quickly. Maybe, maybe that's just me growing up, but it took a while for a lot of things to happen. I know the fact we're all connected. I know the internet. Everything just happens quicker. At this, in this society in which we live, if you even hark back to the take-up of pay TV in this country, it took a while for people to get their heads around the fact you had to pay 
for TV, Foxtel. But now the majority of homes have some sort of Foxtel, if not Foxtel streaming. And the pickup on that has been so quick. It's been almost at light speed when you look back at the 90s and how slow it was to get the take-up of pay TV. And I'm using that as an example because sport is a driving force behind that. Things just happen quicker, and we do. We demand that we want things now. So how do we accelerate that? How do we accelerate the AFLW? How do we accelerate the NRLW? How do we bring that up to speed that the product is on par with what the men do? And this is not having a crack at all, please, not having a crack at all at the skills and the women who who ply their trade week in and week out when their competition is up and running because they don't do it on a professional level. They also have to work to live. Why? Because they're not professional in the sense that they get paid to be able to do this full time. If that happens then watch the sport explode. Watch it accelerate. Watch it come into the space that we see our female cricketers and the Matildas now. Invest in the sport. Invest in the business. Make it professional. Make it the fact that they can work full-time. Sorry, play full-time and don't have to worry about working for a living. 13 13 736 736. We'll talk some AFL after this as well. Interesting meeting happening today with the AFL CEOs. We're told that they will be discussing a proposal about a wild card round when it comes to the finals. A wild card what? That's next. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Ah, oh, Slammin' Sam with the pump-up song, and he has picked the Hoodoo Gurus. I'm tipping because we're about to talk AFL and the Brisbane Lions. Oh, actually, I'm going to disagree with you here, Sam. I'm I'm not going to say that the Lions MCG Hoodoo remains because they broke it against the Demons last year in the semi-final. And you know what? Friday night, as heartbreaking as it was. Was that a hoodoo? They played bloody well at the MCG, just not in the last five minutes. We are doing it today all thanks to Maccas. They're proud sponsors of the Little Legends supporting grassroots sport here in Queensland. Uh, Let's see if the view is shared by my next guest. He is part of the SEN family. Uh, Almost 150 games for the Crows, but importantly, he also played for Geelong. Josh Jenkins, very good morning to you, mate. Good morning, Ben. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on the show. The MCG hoodoo for the Lions. I, I, I think it was broken last year. It doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, I, I'm in your corner. I don't believe uh, in it. I, I don't think. I've heard Chris Fagan get a little bit prickly about the <laughs> about the topic. So yep. he clearly doesn't want to buy into it, nor would he or should he. Um, but no, they played. I, I was at the final last year where they dismantled the D's in the second half. That mm. was a fine performance at the MCG. Of course, beaten by Geelong in the prelim. They were, well, hammered by Geelong in the prelim. But Geelong 
uh, won the prelim and the grand final convincingly. So, you know, that is what it is. And then you're spot on. Last week, uh, they they played the MCG perfectly for probably 80 minutes of the game. And um, that doesn't always guarantee you a result. But what it does say is they've got no issues being able to play to their best at the ground. They've just got to do it a bit longer. When it comes to that last five minutes, um, it was really seven minutes of mayhem. But, I mean, that last five minutes, is that just a, a switch off, Josh, or is there something more deeper underlying that uh, the Brisbane need to, to fix in that regard? I don't think it's an underlying issue. I mean, every person that's played sport of any level has been probably involved in a great comeback, but equally involved in... In a, in a game where you've lost the unlosable. So uh, from my point of view, just watching neutrally on the couch, I, I thought they went in to, to, to protect the scoreboard slash save the game mode probably two or three minutes too early. That mm. you know, For them, the, the count's up clock is on the scoreboard. So they've probably gone into that mode only 20 minutes into the last quarter. So you know, I think you probably need to play the game out in your natural game style, at least sort of 22, 23 minutes gone in the quarter. And then you can start to look for, you know, sideways and backwards kicks and um, clock killing. Into that mode a little bit early. Melbourne took their chances because that's the other element, Ben, is, you know, Melbourne could have easily missed a couple of those chances and then they don't win that game either. So, it was the perfect storm against the Lions. And sometimes you just got to go through those situations. It's a part of sport. Uh, no, no Josh Dunkley for the Lions either. And hoping that he's going to be back for this game. Uh, Geelong at the Gabba. Uh, they are a team that are starting to, well, I mean, they're the premiers. And we know how tough and strong they are to uh, to get over the top of. What are they? They're sitting in, in fifth right now. They're a couple of points out of uh uh, out of uh, the top four, how how tough an assignment is this Saturday afternoon for the Lions, or is it a tough assignment for Geelong coming to the Gabatoire? Well, I think both both statements are true, aren't they? Like the the the, the, uh, the Cats are in great form and have sort of got some personnel back. They they've they've got some of their mojo back. Brisbane have had the measure over the Cats in Brisbane, but mm. I guess. That only counts for so much when the when the big finals aren't aren't necessarily played in Brisbane. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a game. It probably tells us more about um, Brisbane than anything. If, if if Brisbane go under, then people you'd imagine are going to question their their I guess their genuine claims on the premiership. Um, if we're able to beat Geelong, then you know all of a sudden. Um, back in the hunt for a top two position because I guess that's the difficult thing for interstate teams. Not only do you need to finish top four, you actually probably need to finish top two so that that first qualifying final is at your home ground and you're not jumping on the plane again. Oh, and Josh, that, that's what makes Friday night even worse as a Lions fan. Rubbing the salt in over the weekend, Port Adelaide getting dusted by Carlton. We had a chance to be within one win of the top two. And now Brisbane, uh, what are they? They're, they're six, eight points. They're two wins out of 
top two. So it may just be out of reach unless there's uh, a mad collapse by, you'd have to think, Port Adelaide. And actually, Port Adelaide and Collingwood have got to play each other. So, oh, I just think of the opportunity lost by that <laughs> one point on Friday Friday night. Hey, Matt, I want to run this by you because it's exactly what Andrew Dillon, is, uh, the reports we're hearing today, is going to be doing with the 18 AFL club CEOs today. One, one of the things he's going to put to them is the thought of a wild card round heading into the finals. Uh, h- how this works, it's based on the NBA system, uh, we're led to believe, where either the bottom two teams or the bottom team in the top eight play off with the teams just outside the eight. So eight plays nine or seven and eight plays nine and ten to finalise mm. the bottom spots for the top eight. Is this a, is this a good idea? I think it's a. I don't mind the idea of it. Now, the reason I like it is we we saw the Miami Heat. If we look the look at the basketball example, yeah. Miami were were in the play. They call it the play in tournament. They were in that situation and and they they got the job done and they made it all the way to the NBA final. So imagine in our sport where it should be easier to do it because I guess logically you know Miami had to to win seven game series whereas. Our teams only have to win one-off games. So imagine, you know, a grand final being uh, participated by the top team, but then the team who finished ninth or tenth and who have made it on this big fairy tale run. So I like the idea of it. I think it adds intrigue to the to the end of the season. It probably keeps, you know, an extra two or three teams alive fighting for that position. So um, and it obviously puts some some money in the bank as well for for the AFL. So. I don't really see a downside to it. Yeah, you, you'd have to create an extra round for it or an extra slot for it, wouldn't you? Or is that that bye weekend leading into the finals? Just take that away. Yeah, well, I think you, I think you, you, you stretch out the season too much and you, you, you're then asking the other teams to have two weeks off. So I think you just play it on the bye weekend. It would be, you know, under the right circumstances, you know, say it's a, it's a, it's a couple of big Melbourne teams or it's a, or it's or it's a couple of teams, or it's a team who's really underperformed, or it's a team who has been on a late season run. You'd imagine the eyeballs on that game, or those couple of games, will be enormous. So I just I see a lot of upside in doing it. I, I, I'm one I'm one for, you know, I'm a big believer in having a go at something, and if it doesn't work, then you can just go away from it. That's my view on the night grand final. You know, just 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 play a- a- night grand a- final. A- a- if you don't like it, well, I mean, to be honest, you know, AFLX was uh, not a great thing, but like we had a go at it. We realised yeah. it wasn't much good and we got rid of it. So, you know, who, who really cares at the end of the day? So I think they should have a go at it. If it works, amazing. If it doesn't work, just get rid of it. Josh, great chatting to you, mate. We look forward to uh, your calling on the weekend, uh, part of uh, AFL Nation here on SEN. Josh Jenkins joining us, uh, talking AFL. Uh, I'm going to put that out. To you right now, 13-13-55, AFL, NRL. Would you like to see a play-in round, a wild-card round for your team to make the finals? Or is that just tampering with tradition too much? 13-13-55, I'm just digesting it. I'm just getting my head around it. I'm actually, I don't know where I sit yet. Let's let's get the arguments for and against. Try and convince me either way. 13-13-55, a wild card round, like the NBA does, the play-in round to make the finals, where the bottom team 
eighth, plays ninth, and the winner then makes the finals, makes the playoffs. Or do you even extend it to seven and eight, playing eight and nine? A second chance, a wild card. And I think now of the NRL season, how close it is now when it comes to for and against on the ladder, it would make a lot of sense in NRL to do this. Because as it stands right now, the Cowboys are sitting in ninth place on the ladder only on for and against. They're equal points with the Bunnies and the Eels. So that would be a perfect scenario to have a one-off game to make the finals. Although, does that erode the sins of early in the season? Should you be rewarding the most consistent throughout the season to make the playoffs? These are all the things you've got to weigh up. Let's take the temperature on this. Take the pulse. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736. A wild card round in your sport. AFL, NRL to make the finals. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Well, we now get the same conditions as the Socceroos, with one exception. FIFA will still only offer women one quarter as much prize money as men for the same achievement. There we go, Matilda Tamika Yallop talking about the Matildas and their push for equal pay when it comes to the World Cup. Not just the Matildas, but across the board. And it's the basis of our conversation this morning. Should female athletes get paid the same as male athletes? I know it's a very simple and very generalised question. Uh, so many layers and complexities to it. But 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Uh, the views are wide and varied, which is fantastic. You've heard mine on them. We'll get into that in just a moment with someone who's at the coalface of women's sport in this city, in this state, uh, in this country. Um, I need to give you another answer for the quiz coming up at 11 o'clock. And that answer is Old Trafford. Ooh, there we go. Old Trafford, uh, which leads us into dun, 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 drum roll cricket. That's right. The fourth Ashes Test. And we'll be heading to the UK after 11 o'clock today. Uh, the fourth Ashes Test. It is on a knife's edge. Australia lead 2-1. What, what are they going to do with the lineup? Mitch Marsh's century in a session it posed more problems uh, than, it, uh, than it answered, I would think. Uh, Cameron Green, Mitch Marsh, David Warner. I think they stick with David Warner. Um, but... It's something that was a hot topic of conversation this morning on Patton Heels. And Paddy asked Australia's greatest keeper about what he would do coming into the fourth Ashes Test. It's one thing what I'd do, and it's one thing I think they might do. Mm-hmm. I think they'll stick with Warner. Yep. Um, and I, I think I would. Um, he, he has to carry the burden of getting these Ashes won. You can't put a new batsman in there, so he's got to get this job done. If it, if he bats like he did last week, this week, he's got to go. Mm. He'll be dropped, uh, whether they win or lose. And uh, so I think Warner will stay. Uh, I I would play Mitch Marsh, not Cameron Green. Mm-hmm. And I would have Hazelwood for Boland. And that means Todd Murphy's still in that team. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, I need to have a conversation with Pat Cummins just to see how much how much confidence he's got in Todd Murphy. If he's not going to bowl him, i.e. like last week at Headingley, you know, we should be finding a, um, a position for Neeser to, to get him in, play four quicks, Travis Head, our spinner, bit of Manus Labashane, and, you know, get going. All right, there's one from off the wall. 
bring in Nisa. Well, that's right. If the captain's not going to bowl our spinner, mm. and and that just needs to be you know worked out between the selectors and the captain, what happened there? He only bowled eight or nine overs, and uh, you know Nathan Lyon would have bowled forty. Ah, uh, Ian Healy pulling the pin on that grenade. And I don't mind it either. Bring Michael Neeser in. Get him playing. I mean, he scored a century. He scored back-to-back centuries in uh, county cricket and can bowl, can do some damage over there. Look, after 11, we'll cross to the UK. And it's a question I'll ask a local. That's right. Daniel Norcross, part of the SEN team. But local knowledge is key when it comes to any sport. And Old Trafford, would it suit someone like Michael Neeser? Could they take a four-paced a four-pronged pace attack into the ashes. It's something that we'll be putting to our expert, but I'll put it to you too. 13 13 736 736. All right, the gender pay cap uh, gap, equality in pay when it comes to male and female athletes. It's always a uh, hotbed of debate when it comes to sport. Some sports do it, some do it half, some don't do it at all. Tennis, I'm looking at you. Grand slams. Males and females get the same pay. Outstanding. Except there is an argument that, well, hang on, females only play the best of three sets and men play best of five. So is that equal? Should they be getting the same pay? Surfing, pay equality across the board for males and females. But there has been a long fight to get it there. So on the back of what the Matildas are trying to do, and they've pushed for pay parity and got it from Soccer Australia. What was that? That was back in 2019, wasn't it? Yeah, they they even went on strike. They decided not to tour the US because they weren't getting the same uh, deal as the Socceroos. So they get that same share of revenue and they also get the same entitlements as the Socceroos when it comes to travel, when it comes to support staff business class flights, it's on an equal pay. It's on an equal level, but not when it comes to FIFA. FIFA prize money for the Men's Soccer World Cup last year, $440 million. Eye-watering, isn't it? Telephone numbers. We can only dream of that. The women, nothing to be sneezed at, $110 million prize money. But why the difference? Shouldn't it be equal if they're doing the same job? Well, yes, it does come down to revenue. Or... or, or does it? Whose responsibility is it to grow that revenue? Does the game need to be putting more money into their female athletes? And insert sport here when I say the game. Someone who's at the coalface of female sport, women's sport in this country is a big part of the show. He's the man behind the scenes. He's part of our team here uh, on mornings at SENQ. I'm speaking of the Hoff, Braden Hesler. He is the coach, the head coach of the Logan Thunder in the WNBL1. There we go. Braden, morning to you. This is something that is on your radar almost on the daily. Yeah, it gets spoken about a lot, uh, obviously, um, especially in recent times. But ever since I've coached women, which has been five years now, uh, it's always been a hot topic of conversation. It gets fiery at times. But, um, yeah, it's pretty topical. What's the general feeling? Um, well, there's obviously feeling that, you know, women aren't played enough, um, you know, to, to sort of reach their potential. I think, you know, you mentioned it before, you know, with the ability, you know, especially with basketballs, it's the same as many other sports where the women who play WNBL aren't, a lot of them aren't full time. There are some that are, but a lot of them aren't. So, you know, they have to work outside and, and stuff like that. I have a player on my team who who plays for Townsville and she does engineering outside and, um, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, 
you know, they obviously want, that's the main thing. They obviously want to become full-time professionals so they can, you know, work on their craft nonstop. Is that plausible for, well, Basketball Australia run the WNBL, WNBL one. Is that plausible for Basketball Australia to, to, to sink money into the female game to, to make them full-time professionals? I think it's probably not plausible from Basketball Australia's point of view. Um, you Why? know. I don't know whether they have the the funds to be able to invest in it like other sports do. I think, you know, the right pathway to try and make that happen is the 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 man who took over the NBL and has made it what it is today. And Larry Kesselman has obviously expressed interest in recent years in taking over the WNBL. And from my understanding, Basketball Australia won't let that happen. So um, that's the way for it to happen, in my opinion, is to let him, you know, someone who's okay with, you know, investing uh, and losing some money early on to build the game. Um, but I don't think it's plausible while right. Russell Australia running. Well, right there is my case in point. What we've seen with the NBL and, and the growth since Larry Kesselman took that over. He, here's someone who, who knows business, who, who knows you've got to invest, you've got to put the capital in first, and then the return will come. So right there is a model, surely, to the shining light. It's it's not the most profitable business, but it's starting to build, it's starting to grow. It's, it's almost to borrow a line out of Hollywood, you know, build it and they will come. But you've got to build it first, right? A hundred percent. And the sad thing with it, with basketball in this country, especially in the women's game, is, you know, we've been widely regarded as top two, top three, you know, for the last 20, 25 years. You yeah. know, the last World Cup last year at home, we, we won a bronze medal and, you know, we've won endless amount of silver medals and won a world championship in 2006. So the sad thing is that, you know, our professional league hasn't sort of made that step yet where these girls can... Um, become full-time professionals and really work on their craft as much as they uh, should be able to. All right, time is beating us. You're normally the one who's tapping me on the shoulder to say, quick, you've got to get to a break. But before we do that, from a coach's point of view, if you were able to have girls full-time, they were training four or five days a week uh, for a number of hours a day, how quickly or how what, what type of increase of the standard in competition would we see? Would it happen overnight? Would it happen within a season or would it take some time? Yeah, I think you would. I think the main difference you'd see is with the depth of talent because, you know, the top sort of four or five probably are full-time professionals, but, you know, a squad of 10, 12, you know, those people that fill out the team aren't full-time. So it's really hard for them to sort of make their way up, especially the young ones. So I think you'd see immediately immediate benefits with, with the depth of the competition and you'll see long-term benefits as well. Yeah, our women's cricketers and the Matildas, case in point. Since they went full-time professional, they got a really big bump in pay, and they were able to ply their craft day in and day out. We've seen the cricketers be invincibles, world champs. They've only lost three games in a row once since 2017, since they got that big boost. And the Matildas, what, they come into this World Cup, 10th in the world in Australia, and let's face it, soccer is not our major football code. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Hoff, I'll let you get back to it. It's seven away from 11. Get involved anytime. Text 0467, 736, 736 or call 13, 13, 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Woke up this morning. 
Sam has outdone himself. This is the holy grail of sports quizzes. It is Queensland's biggest sports quiz, and I love the fact that the board has lit up too. 13-13-55. The get-in question is, who won the Wally Lewis medal for the player of the State of Origin series last week? Ten questions. The last man standing will get the prize. Two tickets to the Lions and Geelong this Saturday afternoon at the Gabba, which is outstanding stuff. Um, Remember, the first five callers through. If you fall, if you stumble, you will get a chance to get back into the quiz. Um, We're doing it all thanks to you. What about this? Pickering Caravans tonight with Scotty Sattler and Matt Rogers. They're broadcasting Sports Day live from a Pickering Caravan at NRMA Treasure Island Holiday Park. What could go wrong? Hey, how good's this? Uh, tune in tonight. Hear all about their caravan adventure. That is Sports Day with Sats and the Rat. All right, let's go to line one. Dennis had his finger on the trigger. Outstanding stuff. Dennis, good morning to you. Where are you calling from today? Joiner, mate. Joiner. How is it still raining out that way? Oh, a little bit and pieces. That's about it. All right. Well, let's get things off and running, mate. Who won the Wally Lewis medal for this year's Origin Series? Well done. We are off and racing. Here we go. We're talking soccer. We're talking Women's World Cup. Suncorp Stadium. Under FIFA rules, they can't be branded under a commercial agreement. So what has Suncorp Stadium been renamed for the FIFA World Cup? Brisbane Stadium. Aha. Off and running. Question three. Um, this may be a tricky one. Who, who won last year's British Open golf? Sam Smith. <laughs> he did indeed. Um, question number four. We're going to stay in the UK. Where did Australia beat England to secure the Ashes in 2019? Um, 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 was it Old Trafford? No, no. Oh, it was, Dennis. Well done. You've picked that yep. one up. Excellent stuff. Question five. You might need the second chance here now that I've jinxed you. Question five. Who won the last Women's World Cup in soccer? USA. Yes, that was one of the answers I gave. All right, Q Bon Jovi, because we are halfway there. All right. Question number six. Other than Carlos Alcaraz... Who was the last person not named Andy Murray, Nadal, Djokovic or Federer to win the men's Wimbledon? Does that make sense? So out of the big out of the big four, no Murray, no Nadal, no Djokovic, no Federer, who was the last to win Wimbledon outside of them? Oh, oh god. Uh... I would have put this at question 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Remember, you do get a second chance to call back in if you miss it. I'm going to have to get an answer off you. Oh, God. um, Juan Potro? Oh, that's a very good guess. One I didn't think of. But no, no, Dennis, that's not it. He was flying through it. Uh, Scotty's out of Bald Hill. Scott, morning to you. Oh, Scott, are you there? 
Oh, no, the line's dropped out. Uh, let's stay on the north side of town. Greg, get out. No, oh, Scott's there. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm here, mate. I'm here. Oh, <laughs> so close, so close. All right, we're up to question number six. Outside of the big four, not including the other night with Carlos Alcaraz, who, who was the last to win Wimbledon outside of the big four? No Murray, no Nadal, no Djokovic, no Federer. Oh, Scott. Oh, no, it's dropped out again. Oh, phone lines playing. Yeah, got, oh, are you there? Got you, I, I got you now. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just wondering, it wasn't as far back as Hewitt, was it? Is that your answer? Oh, Sam has given it to you. There you go. It was. Leighton Hewitt in 2002. Well done. All right, Scott, let's hope this phone line stays up and running. Question number seven. Who is the games record holder for the Brisbane Lions? Who's played the most games as the as a Brisbane Lion? Jesus, that's a tough one, mate. I'm a leaguey. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say Lepich. <sighs> no, but we're in the same sort of era. Scott, well done. Uh, Greg on the north side. Greg, morning to you. There you go, mate. Good. Brisbane Lions. Who's played the most games for the club? Oh, mate, you got me on the leaguey too. Um, oh, Voss? No, it's not Michael Voss. Mick is on the sunny coast. G'day, Mick. G'day, guys. How are you? Very well. Brisbane Lions. Who's played the most games for the club? Mate, I'm going to have a bit of a guess here. Mm. At uh, young fella's uh, famous father, Ashcroft. <sighs> Oh no! Marcus but it, no, it's not Marcus Ashcroft. But it, it, it's it's in that vicinity. It's in that number of games. Wow! I didn't think this would stump them. Uh, you'll be kicking yourself when you hit it. A down oh, now, Dennis. Hey, he's got back for his second chance. Good day, mate. Good to talk to you again. Hey, mate. Brisbane Lions. Who's played the most games for the club? Simon Black. Simon Black, indeed, 322 games. That was question number seven. Now, of all our callers that came through before, Scott, Greg, you're still in with a chance, double chance. So if you call back, if you death ride Dennis enough, you may be able to swoop. Dennis, let's hope that's not the case. Question number eight. You've got three to go. Which which club has won more premierships since 1987, the Broncos or the Bunnies? Broncos. Yes. That was a simple one, wasn't it? Six of them, in fact. All right. Question number nine, the penultimate question. The ICC test rankings have come out. They've been reset. Which Australian batsman is the highest ranked in the men's test rankings? Is that since the last test in England? Hmm. Marsh? No, not Mitch Marsh. No, there's a body of work that goes behind it, not just a one-off test, but it was a good stab. Dennis, well done. Uh, Mick on the sunny coast again. Yeah, he's using his second chance. G'day, Mick. <laughs> G'day again. All right. Which Australian batsman is the highest ranked in the ICC rankings? Yeah, I think it was Smith and Labuschagne, but I think Travis Head might have overtaken them. He has indeed. He is second on the list now after his body of work. Well done. Question number 10. Here we go, Mick. This is for you. This is for you to get to the Lions. this Saturday afternoon, a double. Oh, this is going to be a belter of a game too, Geelong and the Lions. It is an AFL question too. Right. The Gold Coast Suns 
How many head coaches, full-time head coaches, have they had? Oh, uh, I reckon Hugh would have been about number three or four. So McKenna, Hugh, Rodney Eid. Yeah, look, I'll stick with three. That was a very good process of elimination, Mitt. Well done. Yes, three indeed. You named them two. You almost deserve a bonus point there, but I've got nothing else to give you, and you've won it anyway. So well done. You're off to the Lions and Geelong Saturday afternoon. Outstanding. So how, how's, how's things on the sunny coast this Tuesday morning? Nice and sunny, mate. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit cloudy in the background towards Brizzy, but uh, looking out at the ocean, fantastic day. Oh, living large, living the life up there, and you get to live large at the Gabba too on us. Mick, thank you for being part of it. Thank you to all our calls too. That is our quiz, Queensland's biggest sports quiz, and Mick from the sunny coast is our quiz whiz this Tuesday morning. That was a ripper. That was really good. Thank you, everyone, for your calls, your participation in that. 13, 13, 55. We're going to get back to normal programming now. Plenty to talk about, plenty to sink our teeth into. We are going to head to the UK and we'll discuss more. Our breaking news, our developing story of the day. Uh, This does concern Australian sport on the whole. If you're just joining us, Melbourne have pulled the pin on the Commonwealth Games in 2026. It was in regional Victoria mainly. And they have said the cost blowout is not worth it. It is not cost efficient. It was slated to be around $2.5 billion. 2.6 was the number put on it. That figure, estimated cost, now $6 billion. How did they get it so wrong? Possibly even $7 billion. Daniel Andrews has made the call. I see... Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, has weighed into it. Um, We'll bring you more of that before midday today. 14 minutes past 11 here on Queensland's new home of Sports 693 AM SENQ or 1620 on the Gold Coast. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. At 19 past 11, thanks for your company. Uh, Chris, thank you for your text. He said, yes, for the wild card in AFL and their final series. It means Carlton would have played finals at last for the last few years. Oh, dear, oh, dear. 13-13-55-0467-736-736. Don't miss a Titans doubleheader. It's this weekend, all part of Superhero Saturday. The NRL versus the Roosters and the NRLW taking on the Cowboys. Outstanding stuff. Now, Emma Greenwood from the Korea Mail is reporting that Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Queensland Premier, will not be throwing a lifeline to the Commonwealth Games in 2026. Uh, right now on the Gold Coast, there is a Women in Sports Summit. And the Premier was speaking there this morning and said she had been asked about the possibility of Queensland stepping in to host 2026, categorically ruled it out, but also underlined that the Victorian decision would have no bearing on Queensland's Olympic position. She says that in Queensland, our Olympic position is very good. I've had people say to me, can you run the Commonwealth Games? Well, no, we can't because our focus is on the Olympics and any extra money, 
well, we'd have to then delve into a pot that is put aside for social housing, etc. So there we go. Emma Greenwood with that. That story just coming out. This is a developing story, uh, one that will be uh, spoken about for most of the day and for the days coming as well. Speaking of which, tomorrow night and the ashes. Oh, cannot wait for this. Uh, All thanks to Plantation Homes. The sale event must end soon. I want to take you to the UK because the Ashes, they do go on the line tomorrow night with the Aussies holding a 2-1 lead heading into the fourth test. And it all starts at Old Trafford. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, SEN, you'll be able to hear every ball live uh, here on our 693 station on the app as well. Just download that. It's the best way to hear the team crystal clear and uh, as if they're in the living room, the car with you, calling all that action. Uh, The team includes an Englishman. Yep, Daniel Norcross, uh, the man who called Johnny Bairstow a lazy pillock. I love that. He's endearing himself to me already. Uh, Daniel, good morning to you, or good evening to where you are. The fourth test, it is set up to be an absolute beauty. Well, it is, isn't it? Uh, Obviously, when things get set up to be absolute beauties, you're a little bit on edge. And if it's in Manchester, what you're on edge about is the weather, because Manchester is renowned for being the wettest place. It's a bit like the Sydney of England, insofar as it rains all the time. But forecast is looking okay for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And England have announced their team already, so we're already getting the anticipation. We're all get, already getting excited about, you know, looking forward to the game. Um, Australia have been a bit cagey about their side. I'm sure we'll come on to that in a minute. England have got James Anderson back in the side to bowl from the James Anderson end. And so England fans are already kind of imagining this wonderful first day on a green top and Anderson steaming in and rediscovering the skills that made him a champion bowler that was a little bit absent in truth in the first couple of test matches That's fair, and it? hoping they could take England to victory and take a square to the oval. But, you know, there's a lot of ifs in there. And see, Daniel, this is what we get. Obviously, you know where you're broadcasting into, into Australia, and you're saying hopefully for an England victory. So we've just got to make sure that the scales are balanced in this this conversation. (laughs) Um, Daniel Anderson. Surely, surely, Ben, surely, surely, Hmm. every good Australian wants cricket to be the winner. And they will want, they will want their side to lose this so they can win more crushingly. They could disappoint the British soul far more successfully if they do it at the Oval. Because then hope, which is, which is a concept which is alien to the English, really, hope will start to build. That's how you really destroy them. If you win this test match, well, it's kind of, yeah, it was on the cards anyway, wasn't it? Headingley was a blip. Australia are better. Let's go back to watching football. Whereas this way, you can crush our souls. You can, we'll never do the same again. Daniel, that's what we're telling ourselves after Headingley. Oh, cricket's the winner. It's going to be thrilling now. Let's just get to Manchester and wrap this thing up. Hey, speaking of Manchester, what is it with your record there? The English record against Australia, n- not good. We haven't lost at Manchester since 1981. I was, God, how old was I? I was seven. Yes. Well, I remember that test very clearly. It was part of both of them's ashes. Mm. The third of three tests that he had a huge impact in. He got that incredible 100, better 100 than the one he got ahead of the actually of 86 balls. Uh, and it contrasted hugely with Chris Tavare. I think got 50 in a whole day, and both of them got 100 in a session, pretty much. <laughs> um, yes. What is it about Old Trafford? I don't really know, because actually the pitches ought to suit England. They've 
Uh, they take a little bit of spin, but not too much. So England's lack of spin resources isn't overly exposed. They're nice, usually quite hard, quite bouncy pitches. And against teams that aren't Australia, England have succeeded. But I suppose when you think about the composition of an Australian bowling attack, mm. Pat Cummins will love Old Trafford. He did four years ago. It's a sort of pitch that suits him down to the ground. Usually, it's a little bit like the last heading pitch was, which surprised us in being so pacey, which was a sort of Pat Cummins pitch, wasn't it? He, sort of, he ran out of steam in the second innings. In that first innings, he was matchless. And you can imagine him. Josh Hazelwood had a great test there four years ago. Um, and the swing of Stark, if the weather conditions, as we're anticipating, are a little bit cloudy, a little bit of overhead. So I think the reason is because it's the most traditionally Australian pitch that England has as a general rule, Old Trafford, which, as I say, I mean, in times gone by when England had players like Steve Harmison um, and Simon Jones and, and Andrew Flintoff, it actually suited them. They didn't get, I mean, don't forget, in 2005, they very nearly beat Australia, didn't they? With, uh, yeah. with a four-pronged pace attack. And that was a, the one that Glenn McGrath managed to survive at the end, you know, nine down. So I think the answer lies really in when England do well there. When they do well is when they've got a strong pace attack. And Australia always have strong big men rather than sort of kiss the pitch swingers. So it it tends to suit an Aussie style of bowling a bit more. Okay. Well, then, Daniel, answer me this. Ian Healy said on this very station just a few hours ago that the only change he would make is bring Hazelwood in for bowling. But... He wants to know if Pat Cummins has full faith, has full trust in Todd Murphy, because he didn't bowl him, hardly bowled him at Head and Glee. If he had Nathan Lyon in the team, Nathan Lyon's bowling 40 overs. But we don't, and yeah. we have a, a, a rookie spinner. Is it a place where you could forego a spinner, bring in four pay, and bring in a, a Michael Nisa, who's been killing it for Glamorgan? And he's a Queenslander. Mm. Well, do you know... There's a lot of people who love Nisa, not least of which my colleagues on SEN, uh, <laughs> Adam Collins, Borough, Sunder Race, and they're big Nisa fans. I'm a big Nisa fan. Yeah. I actually think Nisa is, it, it's not quite right for him. As I say, it, it's for a bigger banger in bowler. Gotcha. I, but normally, you play a spinner at Old Trafford because it does turn. But, and I'm going to say something a bit radical here for your, your listeners. Oh, With nice. Australia being 2-1 up in the ashes, one up, right? Mm -hmm. With a bit of rain knocking about. I would forego the spinner, but I would play both Mitch Marsh and Cameron Green and go long on that batting order because you know, let's not forget, England have taken 58 Australian wickets out of a possible 60. Australia's batting has shone in parts, hasn't it? But it hasn't really been mm. the juggernaut we thought it would be. The sort of Smith, Labashane, Kawaja-led, Travis Head, Juggernaut and Cameron Green hasn't hasn't really, you know, he's got too many runs so far. But if you hide him a little bit further down, he can come in at seven. We've got Carey at eight. He struggled a little bit with the bat, but you lengthen that tail with Stark and Cummins at nine and ten. I would be defending my two-one position and knowing that guys like Cam Green and Mitchell Marsh, big, tall men, strong, big-shouldered men, you could just go in with five five paces. Uh, that would be. That would be my method, actually, because I think, you know, there was a great test match played at Old Trafford not long ago in which 20 wickets were shared by two bowlers, Monty Panasar and Steve Harmison, wow. which sort of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Really. 
it, it, it rewards metronomic accuracy, which you'll remember Shane Warne saying Monty Panatar's not played 57 tests, he's played the same test 57 times. <laughs> Mon- Monty could land it, you know, and an old trap had helped. So somebody like Nathan Lyon, a really experienced spinner, would be great there. Todd Murphy, I think he's going to be a great spinner. And I think he might yet prosper at Old Trafford. But if you've got Marsh and Green, as well as Stark, coming Taserwood, why not just go that way and bomb England on that pitch and lengthen your batting order considerably? That'd be my move. In life, there is nothing like local knowledge, and we are picking the brains of Daniel Norcross, part of the SEN commentary team. You'll be able to hear every ball of the Ashes tomorrow night. It gets underway, 8 o'clock, our time at Old Trafford. Uh, Daniel, I, I, wanna, I need to ask you this. Moen Ali batting at three. I know it's been done. Yeah. The thoughts behind it, the process behind it. Well, the process, like a lot of things in basketball, is vibe and feeling. Um, there's not an enormous amount of science that's gone into it. So, essentially, England's had a problem with the number three pretty much since Jonathan Trott um, retired. So, everybody who's come in that role has been a revolving door situation, partly because batting against a new ball in England is more difficult than in most other countries mm-hmm. in the world. And you see that in the returns that openers tend to get in England as well. So, they found in Ollie Pope somebody who had nailed down that spot. Once he's gone, everybody else is in a position that, that's become their own. Harry Brook at five, he's only young into his test career. He's only been going for less than a year. Um, despite having those thousand runs, he's not really a number three. Joe Root doesn't want to go at number three. And so the, the, the feeling is, and like I say, it's more of a vibe, is that Moeen Ali is expendable because he's going to retire again from test cricket at the end of this series. So, you know, in about a week and a half's time, he'll be gone again from Test Cricket. So you don't destroy the guy by him having a couple of failures up top. That's really the main thinking. And they've said, and Moeen has said himself, you know, my job is if I can hang around for seven or eight overs, he said hilariously, uh, just get the ball a little bit softer. He also said, when asked about approaching 3,000 runs, he said, well, 23 runs does feel like a long way away. Now, that doesn't inspire you with confidence when you're number three. Yeah. They're saying 23 runs feels a long way away. But I think it is really so that everybody else could be settled. And that is kind of the way Basball sets itself up. It is, you know, about feeling as much as science. And they want to keep Moeen in the side because they want that spin option. And they want to be able to lengthen that batting order. Uh, Johnny Bairstow's not comfortable keeping wicket and batting high in the order. He needs time off, especially after his leg break. So you then have Wokes in at eight. So that makes England's order feel a little bit more secure. And Moeen then becomes, dare I say this, he becomes the day hawk. You know, they talk about the night hawk, <laughs> which is supposedly Stuart Broad. Well, Moeen is the mohawk. He is... <laughs> He goes in at three and does what he does, and it doesn't matter. That's the kind of principle behind it, that if he gets out first ball, it's not ideal, but it doesn't really matter. He's asked to make an impact, and if he comes off one in four times, then they'll be cool with it. That does my head in. Batting at three doesn't matter. It's supposed to be your best batsman. I love it. I reckon Brendan McCullum must be a fan of The Castle, the Australian movie. Dennis Denuto, who's the lawyer in that. And Daniel, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. The Castle. Because the lawyer in that argues about the vibe. 
about the feeling about and that's all not not arguing the core or the the point of law but argues about the vibe man i'm going to let you go well past your bedtime we look forward to your uh, call tomorrow as, uh, tomorrow night as part of the sen commentary team the fourth ashes Thank you so much. I, I genuinely cannot wait. And I've now got another Australian film recommendation. So I don't think I can squeeze it in before bed, but you never know. <laughs> Good luck with that, Daniel. Daniel Norcross, part of the SEN team. That's right, The Ashes. Uh, live tomorrow night from 8 o'clock. Uh, building a new home, Plantation Homes, backed by $7 billion parent company. Plantation Homes is where you need to go. Uh, right now, we need to go to the news at 11.33. Get involved anytime. Text 0467 736 736 or call 13 13 55. This is Mornings with Ben Davis. Uh, slamming Sam, DJ Slamming Sam. He's uh, really picked up his game today. Now, that is Led Zeppelin, but um, what song was that? Bring, bring it home. Bring it on home. Bring it on home. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do with, uh, what, about uh, three minutes remaining. Um, and I, I want to bring it home uh, because I just got a message from home from my mum saying, don't forget your brother's birthday today. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter how old you are. Well, how experienced you think you mums are always here doing their jobs. So, uh, Matthew, happy birth, happy birthday. There you go. I've given you a shout-out on the wireless. That's pretty good. I'll probably have to give you a call so you can write a reply and respond. But, Mum, thank you. Um, gee, you, you're, never, you're never too old, are you? Um, 13, 13, 55. Actually, no, we don't have any more time for calls, but that's okay. Listen away. Uh, we did speak to Brent Tate earlier in the program, as we do uh, most Tuesdays. Uh, the Broncos, they've got a, a, a big chance to solidify their top two spot this weekend against Souths up at the sunny coast. Uh, Brent is a big fan of what the Broncos are doing this time this year as opposed to this time last year. I'd be really surprised if they had anything like they had last year with that fade out at the back end of the year, mate. You know, those guys are a year older, especially those guys that have played Origin, um, you know, the Carrigans and, um, you know, Reese Walsh and those sort of guys. Um, you, I guess when you're in and around that environment, mate, you understand what it takes to win and you... you you're on a steep, quick learning curve. Um, so they're all, you know, a year older, a year wiser. Um, and, mate, they're in great form. And they've got so much talent all over the field. They're, they're a real threat this year. They really are. And, mate, I, I think they're probably one of the only teams that could take Penrith on um, and, and get the job done. And, um, you know, they're, they're chock full of talent. And I think at the end of the day, mate, it's going to be up to the Broncos how far they go this year. Because if they want to win the comp, they've certainly got the team and the, the calibre of players in the group to, to go and do it. Well, there we go. Big words from Brent Tate, although not surprising because he has been backing them for the majority of the season. The full interview you can catch on the podcast. Download the app, anything you've missed of the show today and any day you can download and listen to that in its entirety. Uh, it's only taken us three hours, but we have finally got word through. Stewie Jew, if you're just catching up on this, Stewie Jew, ex-Suns coach, uh, he was only given the marching orders, what, last week, wasn't it? Yeah. He is in camp with the Australian cricket team in Manchester. How has that come about? He's in full Australian kit, so he's somehow part of the team, part of the support team. It goes back to his friendship with Travis Head. 
Stewie Dew playing Port Adelaide, so spent some time down in South Australia, uh, had a good relationship with Travis Head, still does quite obviously, and whether it's an official part of the team, but you'd have to think so, he's got a dream tracksuit, he's got the kit, so Stewie Dew landing on his feet on the other side of the world, wonder if there's going to be some sort of ramifications when it comes to test cricket in that sense. And with that, I'm going to leave you. Jimmy Smith picking up the ball straight after this. Catch you tomorrow from nine.